Hello everyone. Hey, welcome to Summit Church Fenton Online. I'm so glad you've joined me today. I'm looking forward to sharing the Word of God with you. Hey, over the last several weeks, uh, I've been conducting a series on Jesus's 12 Apostles. And we have learned a lot of lessons so far, and I'm looking forward to moving on with with more of his apostles today. We've already covered Peter, and we've covered uh, John, and then the last two sessions we looked at Jesus's most infamous apostle, Judas Iscariot. And uh, again, we, we learned a lot about, about those three individuals, learned a lot of lessons from them, and uh, some things to do, some things not to do. And if you missed any of that, I want to invite you to go to our archives and you can catch up on anything that you missed. Um, but before we, uh, before we move on with, uh, you know, the, re- the next apostles on the list, I want to, uh, I want to take another look. You can turn in your Bibles if you have them there to John the 12th chapter. There's another lesson that we can learn from Judas Iscariot. Uh, again, we covered him in the last two sessions. Uh, but before I move on to the next apostle that I want to look at, uh, there's something that I, I, I didn't get in in the last uh, session on Judas that I want to get in, um, get in right here. It's a very valuable lesson. And, uh, it's important that we look at it. So, so let's, uh, let's go to John 12. And what we're going to find, and we read this last time, and, uh, we, we, uh, noted that this, this was, uh, the time where Mary anointed Jesus' feet, you know, for his burial and, and all of that. And, uh, Judas belittled her worship. You know, that was, that was part of her worship unto him. And she uh, anointed his feet, you know, with the with that perfume. And Judas was was uh, upset about that. And and we talked about, uh, you know, uh, we learned a lesson from Judas not to belittle someone else's worship. So we talked about that last time. But there's another lesson here that we need to to, to get a hold of, and and it's this: it's accusers, because you see, uh, Judas accused her of something. And, and we're going to read it again here, but I want to say this. Accusers will typically accuse others of what they themselves are guilty of. Now, that's a very valuable lesson to learn. And I want to read it again. If you're taking notes, write this down. Accusers will typically accuse others of what they themselves are guilty of. Now, let's read here in John 12, the seven, uh, seven verses here, and we'll see this. Uh, John 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been, uh, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. So Lazarus was there and remember Jesus raised him from the dead and all of that. Verse 2. Uh, there they made him a supper. They made Jesus a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Uh, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And, and of course, that was a very costly ointment. It was equal to about a year's salary. That's, that's costly perfume. And, uh, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. 
Now, you see, Judas accused Mary of not caring for the poor. You see, he, he was essentially, he was saying, hey, she shouldn't be uh, taking this perfume, this ointment, and, and, and pouring it on Jesus' feet. Uh, he was saying she should take it out, sell it, and give that money to the poor. Uh, he was accusing her of not caring for the poor. That's what he was accusing her of. Oh, she doesn't care for the poor. You know, if she really cared for the poor, she would take that, that ointment, that perfume, and, uh, and sell it and give the proceeds to the poor. And he was accusing her of not caring for the poor. That's what, that's what he was accusing her of. And actually, he was really accusing Jesus, uh, for letting that go on. He, he you know, I, I'm, it's quite clear to me. He wanted Jesus to say, Oh, no, no, Mary, stop, stop. Don't, 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 don't pour that on my feet. Take, sell that and give that to the poor. Judas was accusing Mary and I, I think Jesus and, uh, you know, for, for not caring for the poor. Of course, you study Jesus's ministry. Uh, he talked again and again about caring for the poor. Nobody cared for the poor more than Jesus, but Judas was accusing Mary and Jesus, you know, really, of not caring for the poor. And notice what he was doing. He was accusing them of what he himself was, okay? Because the Bible says it just as plainly as, as anything. It says it right here. Not that Judas cared for the poor, but he was a thief. Again, he accused others of what he himself was. And you need to realize that uh, about people that uh, are accusational. And there are a lot of them uh, around, both sinners and Christians alike, sad to say, that accuse other other well-meaning, good, innocent people uh <laughs> Very accusational. And you need to realize that about accusers. It'll really be helpful to you to know that accusers will typically, almost without exception, accuse other people of what they themselves are. And I know this has happened to me over the years. And, and if you've been in the, in the ministry, pastoring or in any capacity of ministry or leadership any length of time, uh, this is going to come your way. Guaranteed fact, if you're a young pastor out there getting started in, in the ministry, you need to realize that as you go on in your, in your ministry and pastoring, that you will at times, you'll get accused uh, by people of various and sundry things. You just will. And, you know, you're not running this right in the church. Or you're not doing this right or doing the other right or this, that, or the other. And, and, and you look at it, you'll see that in almost every instance, those people that are accusing you, assuming your heart is good and right, and you're doing to the best of your ability what the Lord's told you to do, you will find again and again those people that are accusing you, they're, they're accusing you of what they themselves are. I know in my life there, there's there been a couple occasions, I'm thinking of two specific occasions right now, where over the years, I know uh, one of these, uh, someone had sent me an email, and then in another instance, uh, someone had, had did a social media post, uh, 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 actually it was uh, about uh, my wife and I, and, uh, and I, and I was reading as I read the email in the one instance and the social media post in the other, and I was reading it, 
And, uh, you know, I'm just as human as anyone else. You know, you start reading, reading through something like that and you just, you know, your flesh just rises up. You get angry. You know, the Bible says you can be angry and sin not. So the key there is, is not sinning when you're angry. But I, I, I was getting angry and, and, and the further I read and as I was reading it, I, I, I got to thinking and then the Lord brought this to my remembrance. Uh, you know, that accusers will typically accuse you of what they themselves are. And as I was reading this this email in this one instance and this social media post in this other instance, as I read on, I thought to myself, and these people, with every point that I read, I said, well, well, that's what they are. Well, well, that's what they are. Well, that's what they are. Well, well, they're... I, I haven't done that, but, but, but they, I haven't done, I haven't done point one. I haven't done point two. I haven't done point three. I haven't done point four, but, but they've done point one, two, three, and four. And, and they've, they've done it, you know, they've done it in spades. I mean, they, they've really been guilty of it. Well, what is that? Accusers will typically accuse the innocent people. Innocent folk of what they themselves are. Now, not, I'm not implying that I've, that I'm innocent in everything and I've, I've never made mistakes, but we all have. But I'm trying to teach you something and these two instances I'm talking about, it was this principle in, in, in action. These folks were accusing me and my wife, uh, you know, really in, in these two instances, we, we had done just the opposite of what they were accusing us of. But they themselves were guilty. You know what I mean? In spades. I mean, they were guilty not only in spades, but hearts, diamonds, and clubs of these things they were accusing us of. Just like Judas. See, Mary, I'm confident she cared for the poor. I don't think there's any question about it, but but, but we know for sure Jesus cared for the poor, but yet Judas was accusing them of not. When the And then the Bible says, but he didn't, Judas didn't care for the poor. Again, he accused them of what he himself was. So just understand that and know that about people and, and it will help you. Uh, in life. And don't be an accuser. Okay. Don't, don't be an accuser. But I'm just, uh, uh, trying to help anyone out there that you've been accused maybe of things, this, that, or the other. And, you, and, and like that, like that one student of mine many years ago, you know, I, I was, I was playing a little, little, having a little fun with him right at the, I used to t- teach, uh, high school and, and, uh, high school math and he was sitting in my class and and I just I don't know I just wanted to have a little fun with him and and I just I just started staring at him and uh, and I I shouldn't have done it but I just have a little fun with him you know he's he he did kind of cause some trouble in the class now and then but in this case he wasn't causing any trouble and I just started staring at him and I stared at him you know and while the other kids were working on their homework and he was too and he looked up at me and and I was just sitting at my desk I just staring at him and I just stared and stared and stared, you know, and he started fidgeting and getting nervous and started sweating. And, and, uh, finally he said, he said, Mr. Shield, he said, why are you looking at me? He said, uh, and this is what he said. He said, I ain't does nothing. I ain't does nothing wrong. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I tell you what, uh, maybe you're out there and you ain't does nothing wrong, but you've been accused. Well, you need to realize that if you ain't did nothing wrong and somebody's accusing you, you just look at it. Now, almost without exception, they're accusing you of what they themselves are. It, it seems to be a spiritual principle. And so I hope that helped you. It was just another lesson that we can learn from uh, from this incident here with Judas and, and Mary anointing Jesus' feet. All right, now let's continue with the other nine apostles. 
Go to Luke, the sixth chapter, and let's look at our main text, Luke 6, verse 12. We've been reading this every time, list, the list of the 12 apostles. I hope that you've gotten to where you can list all 12 of them as quickly as you can list Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, and so on. That's the assignment you have. And I, I, I can list all 12 of them. I, I can do it. In fact, I did it for my wife just the other evening at, uh, at, at dinner, after dinner. I listed all 12 of them without looking at my, without looking at my notes. So, and so, so I, there, I've done the assignment. So I want you to be able to do that by the time we get to the end here. Be able to list the 12 apostles without, uh, looking at notes. Okay. So we, as I've said, we've, uh, we've covered Peter, uh, and John and Judas, we're going to continue on. But let's read here, Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew, Luke 6, verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that Jesus went to a mountain to pray. He continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12 whom he named apostles. Okay, we've talked about that. Simon, who who also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew. Now, I want to say this on uh, uh, in this this time I read it through. You need to realize that Bartholomew was also known as Nathaniel. Okay, so, so some of these apostles had they were referred to in different gospel accounts by different names. So little add a little uh, difficulty here to your assignment. So you, I want you to not only know all twelve of the apostles, but but I want you to know the other names by which they were called. Okay, so uh, right here. You have uh, Bartholomew, he's also known as Nathaniel. And then Matthew, he was also known as Levi. And Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus. Now, he's also known as James the Less. Now, <laughs> I'm going to say more about that in a, in a, either later, to, well, I guess in a future session, not today. In a future session, how would you like to be known as you know, if your name is James, James the Less. <laughs> I don't think I'd rather be known as James the More or James the Mighty, but James the Less. Think about that. Well, I have something to say about that later on. But uh, you say, well, why James the Less? Well, there's speculation on that. Uh, some say it was, well, obviously it was to, it was to distinguish him from John's brother, uh, whose, whose name was James, uh, which we'll talk about here in a moment. But um, James the Less... Uh, known as the less to distinguish him from James, the brother of John. Now, the the, the title, the less, could have been, now it could have been, so, some scholars say it could have been because he was shorter than James, uh, the John's brother, or, <laughs> I don't know, uh, or, or that he was younger than uh, James, the other James. I, I don't know. But nonetheless, nonetheless, he was known as James the less, okay? And so you need to realize that. And then uh, Simon uh, called the zealot. So there was two Simons on Jesus' staff, one Simon Peter, okay? And then this one is uh, Simon uh, called the zealot. So let me get verse 15 again. So we have, um, we have Matthew, also known as Levi, and, the, and then Thomas. So Matthew, also known as Levi, and Thomas... And then James, the son of Alphaeus, known as James the Less. And then Simon the Zealot. Alright, so two Simons. But this one is, is distinguished from the other as the Zealot. And then Judas, the son of James, 
Well, I guess it is kind of good. Some of these apostles have the same name, so, so that should make it a little easier on you, I guess, when memorizing the names. But you need to be able to distinguish them from the others that their name, where the names are similar. But Judas, the son of James. Now, he's also known as Thaddeus. He's also known as Thaddeus. And then Judas Iscariot, who was the traitor. So reading through the list again, we've got uh, Simon, who is also known as Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, who were brothers. You have uh, Philip and Bartholomew, who was also known as Nathaniel. And then Matthew, also known as Levi. Then you have Thomas. And then you have James the Less. And then Simon the Zealot. And Judas, the son of James, now he was also known as Thaddeus, okay? And then Judas Iscariot, who was the betrayer, all right? So memorize those names, and you, that's your assignment. You need to know, know these apostles. You need to know their names. Now, um, uh, before we begin with the next apostle, I do want to say this, because uh, we're looking at lessons to be learned from the apostles. Um Back in Mark, the third chapter, I brought this out, out in an earlier session, but it bears repetition. Uh, Mark, thir- uh, Mark 3, verse 14, uh, perhaps the greatest lesson that we learned from all the apostles was this right here. Mark 3, verse 14, then he appointed 12. Now, this is uh, Mark's account of what we just had read in Luke 6. But uh, when it says, Jesus appointed 12. And, you know, again, when we think about being an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, a lot of times we think about preaching or we think about having power to heal sickness and power to cast out demons. But the main thing was that they, right here it says it, that they might be with him. That, I think, is perhaps the greatest lesson we can learn from the apostles is that we should want to be with Jesus. And, and that was, that's what Jesus wanted the most, really, as I read this, he appointed them that they, the apostles, might be with him. So that should be a a major lesson we learn as, as a disciple, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our number one heart's motive should be to be with him. And I met a lot of, uh, Christians and, and particularly preachers over the years that their emphasis their main emphasis, you know, is on the healing power and, and on casting out demons and preaching and, and all those things are good. But, uh, I've never seen a one of them yet that has ever had the power of God in their life as they should, uh, to the full, to the full extent that they could, that, that where they didn't want to be with Jesus. That's the main thing. If we'll take the time to desire to be with Him and to, and to actually be with Him, spend time with Him in His Word, in prayer, and that is our central focus, to be with Jesus, then we put ourselves in a position for him to use us and have the preaching anointing to come on us where we can preach under the power of God. We can see sinners brought to Christ. We can see uh, uh, Christians edified edified, and, and, and encouraged and lifted up and, and so on and so forth. The healing power of God to flow and, and, and demons cast out and put the devil on the run. But the main thing is, is to be with Jesus. And uh, so I wanted to reiterate that. And then something else I talked about at great length, but it bears repetition. And you need to remember this. The, the disciples, you need to realize they were human beings. They really, really were very ordinary and um, uh, just very, very normal, normal people. You know, God uses regular, everyday, normal people. He, he just really does. And these guys were just regular, ordinary 
men. Now, Jesus changed them and they became extraordinary individuals by the time he got done with them. But initially, they were some uh, just regular, normal people with the same kinds of issues in their lives that you and I have. But but I say that to say this, and we talked about it, but it bears repetition that those 12 apostles argued quite a bit. (laughs) They argued among themselves. And uh, so if you're out there, if you're a young pastor looking at going in the ministry, you just need to realize this, that you're going to have people on your staff that squabble among themselves. It just, <laughs> there's no, there's no, there's no way around it. You just have to get ready for it, be able to lovingly deal with it. And you're going to have members in your church that are going to squabble with one another. It just, just, it just, Jesus had to deal with it. He's our Lord and Master. And if he had to deal with it, we're going to have to deal with it. I know in almost three decades of pastoring, I had to deal with all of it at different times. And, uh, folks, folks, you don't get, I mean, folks, you know, Christians just, just, you Christians, born again, spirit filled Christians, get into squabbles with one another, you know, and uh, <laughs> and I've already had people leave my church over the years, not because they they had anything against me, but because they couldn't get along with somebody else in the church, you know. And so, you know, you try to bring peace as best you can, but it, you know, it is what it is. And but Jesus had this issue with his disciples. They argued again and again, even at the Last Supper. They argued about who would be the greatest. Who was going to be the greatest? And they argued about that again and again. And Jesus had, now he had to teach them again and again. You know, if you want to be greatest, you need to be least of all. You need to be a servant, be like a little child and all of that. And so, uh, so let's learn from the apostles not to argue, not to squabble, not to be in strife. And, and let's, let's don't, let's don't seek you know, seek to be great and have great positions of, you know, of notoriety. But let's do what Jesus said. Be humble, uh, you know, be a servant of all. And if we want to be great in the kingdom of God, then let's be a servant and, and, and uh, humble ourselves. And if we'll do that, then, then God will exalt us and put us where he wants us to be. Okay. And then, hey, here's, now here's another lesson that we haven't uh, looked at yet, but I think it'd be good to look at. Uh, and then we'll move, we'll move to the next apostle. But in Mark, the 10th chapter, lessons from the 12 apostles. Let's look at this. Mark 10, verse 13. Then they brought, now watch this. They brought little children to Jesus that he might touch them. But the disciples, the, the apostles rebuked. Now look at that word rebuked. They rebuked those who brought them. So there were people brought their children to Jesus, that he might touch them, that he might bless them. But before they could get their children to Jesus, the uh, apostles stepped in and they were going to put a stop to it. No, no, you can't, you know, no, it, it rebuked. I mean, they didn't just kind of, you know, just, you know, <laughs> they rebuked these people. How dare you bring your child around, around the Lord? You know, essentially he doesn't have time for, for, for your, your children and that kind of thing. You know, I'm, I, I mean, it doesn't say that they said that, but it says the disciples, disciples, the apostles rebuked those who brought the little children to Jesus. But notice this. When Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. He, he didn't like that. He didn't like what his apostles were doing. He was greatly displeased and he had to correct his apostles. He did. And he said to them, he said, let the little children come to me. 
I can sense kind of a boldness in that when Jesus said that to them. He said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. I, again, I can just kind of sense a, uh, you know, I, I, well, Jesus, it said he was greatly, it didn't just say he was displeased, he was greatly displeased. Uh, he didn't like it. He didn't like it when, what the apostles did. And he rebuked, uh, well, the apostles rebuked the people for bringing their children and it greatly displeased Jesus. And I can see, I can see some, some frustration in Jesus's voice here. I can sense it. Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. Don't rebuke them. Let them come to me. He said, for of such is the kingdom of God. And in verse 16, it says, and he took them in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. See, Jesus loves little children. He really, really, really does. Uh, you know, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They're precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. He absolutely does. And that's, I like the words of that song I just quoted there. And let's don't ever forget that. Jesus loves Little children. He really, really, really does. And you know, uh, a lesson that, that, that I learned from that in my church is we always, uh, had a, had a real good, strong children's ministry. We, we really, really did. And, uh, I always, uh, saw to it that we had people that were in our children's church, working in our children's church, that were in there that knew the Word of God, that would teach the children the Word of God. Uh, love on them and, 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 and not just bring, not, uh, we didn't have a babysitting children's church where we just babysat the kids so we could get them out of the way so we could have the adult service. I mean, I don't like that. I don't think Jesus likes that. Children are very, very, very important. And so we always put a high, uh, priority on the children that came to Summit Church from the nursery all the way up and uh, through the teenagers. And we, we had people there that knew the Word of God, that would teach them the Word of God. And yes, they played games and did those sorts of things. Don't misunderstand me. It's good to have that. But, but uh, we always put the Word of God first. We never had the attitude in our church that, oh, well, we're just going to, you know, set this, let's just set the kids in the back and get rid of them for an hour and a half so we can have our service and then, you know, and then, and then we'll go pick them up after the service is over. No, no, no. We, we, we put high priority on our children and, uh, taught them the Word of God, loved on them. And then, uh, and there were uh, like one service every, I don't know, every six weeks or something. We had family Sunday and the children would be in the adult service. And, and, and so we, we all, uh, I mean, why do we do that? Because Jesus loves the little children, you know, and we as, as pastors, as ministers, as Christians, we should, we should love children. I tell you what, you hurt a little child. You hurt a little child. You offend a little child and Jesus said it'd be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and, and, and thrown out and buried at sea than to, than to offend a little child. So don't ever do anything to be offensive or hurt a little child. Okay. Uh, it, 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 it's just, it's, it, I tell you what, you'll, you'll rub Jesus the wrong way if you, if you abuse a child. You really, really will. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to get on the wrong side of Jesus. He loves and cherishes, cherishes children. Okay, much more I could say about that, but let's get to Andrew. Andrew, and now, um, uh, of course, uh, Andrew was uh, Peter's brother, Simon Peter's brother, and uh, the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, they give the, uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke give the call of Peter 
Andrew, James, and John. Of course, Jesus came up to him and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So um, uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John were fishermen. And it's, it's apparent to me they, you know, obviously they knew one another. Apparently they were in the fishing business together. And uh, Jesus said to them, follow me. And uh, when Jesus says, follow me, <laughs> I mean, a lesson we learn, let's follow him. Uh, but you know, it's interesting. If you study Matthew, Mark, and Luke, just Matthew, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But if you study Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three gospel accounts, it appears as if Jesus just walked up to Peter, Andrew, James, and John as a complete stranger and called them in, in the ministry. That, I mean, if you just read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that's what it w- would appear. Okay, that that they were out there with their uh, you know boat boats and f- fishing and whatnot and their, and their nets and all the fishing nets and that it, it would appear that Jesus just walked up out of the blue as a complete stranger and said uh, you know uh, come follow me I'll make you fishers of men and they just just dropped what they whatever they were doing and followed him uh, it would appear as though Jesus was just a complete stranger but that's not the case that's not the case. Uh, you have to also read John's account. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's like, uh, it's like the four sides of a mountain. You don't get the complete view of a mountain if you just look at three sides. You gotta look at that fourth side. And that's why it's important that you, you know, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and it's like four views of a mountain. You gotta get all four views, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to get the complete picture of what Jesus uh, did on any on any specific thing, and uh, you have to put the gospel accounts together. And uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospel accounts. They tend to pretty much kind of cover the same material, only from different different points of view. John tends to cover yes some things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do cover, but he covers some other things that they don't. But still, you have to 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 look at all four gospels. Remember, there's one gospel. There's four different accounts. One gospel, four different accounts. And you have to look at all four accounts to get the full picture of what went on in any situation with Jesus. And uh, and so if you go to John's account, it, it, it lets you know that these men, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, had encountered Jesus prior to him calling them into his ministry. And, uh, and in fact, Andrew and apparently John were uh, two of John the Baptist's disciples from uh, uh, and John the Baptist pointed them to Jesus. Now, let me let me show this to you in John, the first chapter, John's gospel account, the first chapter. Uh, you, while you're turning over there, I want to say this again, uh, Andrew and apparently John were two of John the Baptist's disciples. And then John pointed them to Jesus. And this is prior to Jesus calling Peter and Andrew, James, and John, formally calling them into his ministry. They 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 were aware of Jesus. They knew him. They had encountered him before he officially called them into his ministry. And right here in John 1, verse 35, read from the New Living Translation Bible, uh, the following day, John, that's John the Baptist, was again standing with uh, two of his disciples. Now, we know for sure as we read on, one of them was Andrew and the other one was most likely John. 
but it doesn't name him specifically, but it's in the Gospel of John, and John never calls himself by name in his Gospel account, so it's, it's probably John. Uh, anyway, verse 36, And Jesus walked by, uh, John the Baptist looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples, Andrew and, and, and John, not John. <laughs> There's a lot of the same names going on. It could be confusing. But when John the Baptist, two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. So John the Baptist was out there and Andrew and, and, and the, what we know as the Apostle John, he wasn't the Apostle yet, but he, he was a fisherman. But Andrew and John were there with John the Baptist. Here comes Jesus. And John the Baptist said, look, he says, he says, look, there's the Lamb of God. Okay. And so, so when John's two disciples heard that, Andrew and, and, and John, uh, they followed him. They followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following and he said, what do you want? And, uh, he, he asked them. They replied, Rabbi. Now it's just interesting to me right here on first encounter, they called him teacher. Now later they'd call, they would call him Lord. Okay. But here they, they say, teacher, this, this is their first encounter with him, uh, as far as, as I can see in the Bible. And, uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he says, Jesus says, come and see. Uh, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon, and, uh, and they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Then verse 40 says, Andrew, so there you have it. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard uh, what John the Baptist said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother. So they go over to Jesus. Andrew, and I'm, it's clear to me it was John, went over to where Jesus, where his place was. They spent the whole rest of the day with him, you know, on into the afternoon and so forth. And then Andrew went and found his brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew, now watch this, very important. We've already talked about this in the first session, but I want to make, say it again. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Wow, you think about that. That, I mean, that's, that's lesson right there. That's what we all ought to be doing is bringing people to meet Jesus. And Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. And then Jesus, looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, which also means a stone or a rock. So here we have the initial encounter between Peter and the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, But it was because Andrew, well, really it started with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist pointed Andrew uh, uh, to Jesus, and now Andrew is bringing Peter uh to, to Jesus. So let me say that again. John the Baptist, it started with John the Baptist. He points Andrew to Jesus. Andrew spends some time with Jesus. He goes gets Peter, brings Peter over and introduces him to Jesus. Now you think about that. How vital was Andrew? Now you know as well as I do as you read the rest of the, the New Testament, you know, there's much attention given to Peter. You know, and, uh, really little attention given to Andrew in comparison to Peter. Peter became the number one disciple, him and, him and John, and, and we'll say more about that as we go. But, but Peter was like the number one apostle. Uh, less is said about Andrew. 
Uh, but, but think about it. If it hadn't been for Andrew, P, uh, Peter may never well have gotten to Jesus. Think about that. Think about Andrew, how important his, his role was. Now, again, less is, less attention is put on him, you know, in the Bible as, as, as time goes on. Far more, uh, things said about Peter. But if it wasn't for Andrew, Peter may well never have gotten to Jesus. So you can see how important Andrew was. What's the lesson here? Bring people to Christ, even if it's just one person. You never know what that one person is going to do for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you think about it, you think about how many people we know for sure that Peter won to the Lord. Just think about the day of Pentecost. Peter preached that message, and what was it? 3,000 souls were saved in, in that one after that one message. You think about that. Well, I'm convinced, in, in heavenly terms, that uh, all 3,000 of those souls... That, that the Lord used Peter to, to win to him. I believe, I believe in heaven, uh, Andrew got credit for every last one of them. Absolutely. Even though he didn't directly bring those 3,000 to Christ, it was the Holy Spirit through Peter's preaching that brought him to Christ, but Andrew brought Peter to Christ. You see that? And that's why it's important that we bring everybody to Jesus that we can, first and foremost, for the well-being of that person. So they'll miss hell and make heaven. Even if they don't win anybody else to the Lord, they need to be saved. You see what I'm saying? We need to win everybody that we can for the Lord. But you never know that one person that you bring to the Lord, you never know. They, they could go out and win thousands and thousands of people to Christ. Wow. Think about that. Wow, wow, wow. You know, the Bible says he that wins souls is wise. And so you just never know how that person that you bring to Christ, maybe you're out there and you're a Sunday school teacher. You never know that young person in your class. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you putting the word of God into them every Sunday and, and then, you know, they, they come to Christ and, and you find out on down the road they've become a minister and they've won thousands of people to Christ. Well, I tell you what, you may be a Sunday school teacher and nobody's ever ever heard your name. You're not popular. Well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're popular in heaven because every person that that, that little Sunday school person that you won to the Lord, everyone they won to the Lord, I believe you're credited with. And you know as well as I do, Jesus said there's joy in heaven when a sinner repents. So, so the point here is what lesson, the biggest lesson I think we learn from Andrew is bring one person to Christ. Bring people to Christ. Call people to Christ. Even if you just get one, hey, that's better than none. And you save that soul from hell by bringing them to Jesus, you know, and you don't know, like I said, what they might do for the Lord. So let's always remember that as we share the gospel, because I know I've talked to people over, again, 30 years of pastoring and they'll, they say, well, I only, I only brought one person to Christ. Well, you know what? That's better than none, like I've already said, but you don't know, maybe that one person you brought, they, they might, you don't know, they may, they may have gone out and done wonderful things for the Lord. So I think you get what I'm saying. But hey, here's another lesson from Andrew. Jesus is about to feed the 5,000 with a few loaves and fish. And notice here in John 6, verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, he said, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. He said, but what are they among so many? Now, here's a lesson we can learn from Andrew. Now, this was a setting where the multitude needed to be fed. They didn't have enough food. And there was just that little boy there with a few loaves and a few fish. And, and Andrew he he makes this statement. He says, 
you know, I put it in my own words. Lord, we only have a few loaves and a few fish. We don't have near enough. Uh, what are they? What are these few loaves and fish? What, what are they among so many? Now, I mean, I tell you what, certainly not a statement of faith, but that's what he said. He said, what are they among so many? But you know, and we're going to revisit this story later on, but I just want to say this right, right here, uh, to get this lesson. Uh, remember when these loaves and fish, uh, because they were put, they were given to Jesus, this little boy, as I assume it was his lunch, <laughs> when they took the few loaves and fish, gave them to Jesus, he blessed them, looked towards heaven, looked to the heavenly father and blessed them and so forth. And you know what the Bible says as well as I do. If you don't read up on it, you, you can see it read on here. And uh, I mean, those loaves and fish started to multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply. And everybody in that crowd was fed, men, women and children. They were all fed, fed to the full. There was a bunch left over. What lesson do I want you to get right here? Well, Andrew said, what are the what are these loaves and fish among so many people? They put these loaves and fish into Jesus' hands and they multiplied. What do we learn? Here's a lesson. Little becomes much when it's placed in the master's touch. Oh boy, I like that. I heard a minister say that years ago. And boy, that's a, that's a, and it's so true. Little becomes much when it's placed in the master's touch and the master is Jesus. So, hey, you may be out there today and you may just have a little. And you're saying, what, 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 what's this? This, I just have a little. What is it among these, these, these big issues I'm facing in life? Well, I tell you what, whatever it is, place it in Jesus's hands. And remember, little becomes much when it's placed in the master's touch. And the Lord can take the little that you have if you'll put it in his control and, and seek his counsel and whatnot. I tell you what, he can lead you, guide you, direct you. He can multiply things and he can take little and he can make it much. I've watched him do it many times in my life and in the lives of a lot of people I've pastored over the years and just had a little what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Just had a little. But I tell you what, you put it in the hands of the Lord, seek his face, turn the situation over to him. And, and I tell you, a little can become much when it's placed in his touch. I think where we make a mistake is when we don't place the little we do have in his touch. And we just try to take that little bit and make, make, and make it work. And we never do. We never, we never, it, it never does work out. But I tell you, if we'll just take what little we have, even though it's not enough to get the job done, put it in his touch, turn it over to the Lord. And, uh, and, and little becomes much. He can make little into much when it's placed in the master's touch. Okay. So that's Andrew. Now let's do one more and then, and then we'll close for today. Let's do James, okay? So, so now we, we've done, uh, Peter. We've done John. We, and then we did Judas Iscariot. Now somebody wanted to know, why did you do Judas Iscariot number three? Why didn't you keep him to the end? I was just following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I can't answer that. I know he's always listed last whenever he's listed. So, you know, I, you know, I, I, I would have normally just covered him last, but I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to do him third. So I don't know. I just follow the leading of the Lord. So we got Peter, we got John, then we did Judas Iscariot. Okay. And now we've done Andrew and then we'll do James close with him today. And then we'll pick up, uh, Oh, next time. Oh man. Don't want to miss next time. I'm going to do Philip and Nathaniel.
Oh man, that's, that's going to be good. Don't miss next week. It's going to be good. I think you'll be fascinated with some of the things I have to share with you about Philip and Nathaniel. But anyway, let's do James here. Uh, notice now James, uh, in the list of the 12 apostles, James and John always form a group of four with the brothers, uh, Peter and Andrew. So of course we have Peter and Andrew brothers and James and John. They were brothers. And of course, uh, James is, uh, he, he's known as the son of Zebedee. So James and John were, uh, the sons of Zebedee. And, uh, and by the way, I'll just say this and you can study up on it. Um, but, uh, uh, James and John, sons of Zebedee, and their mother's name was Salome. Salome. And tradition says, now tradition says that Salome was a sister of the Virgin Mary. Now, as far as I've studied in the Bible, as far as I've studied, I haven't been able to confirm that, but I just thought I'd throw that out there. If you're a student of the Word of God, you might want to go study up on that. And that would make, I guess, James and John cousins with Jesus. Now, now I don't know. I don't know, but you could study that out. I just, I wasn't going to say that, but I just thought, well, maybe there's some students out there that want to dig a little deeper. Go study up on it and see what you can find. But be that as it may, you had James and John and uh, Peter and Andrew. Peter and Andrew were brothers, James and John brothers. They were fishermen, apparently in the fishing business together, partners. And James and John were the sons of Zebedee. And many lessons we can learn from James, of course. Uh, well, I say that we, we can, but James and John being brothers, and really as you get into it and look at the life of James as what I can see in the gospel accounts, um, he, he's, he's so close with his brother John that many lessons from James are similar to the lessons we've learned from John. So, you know, uh, so, so basically the lessons I've covered with you on John, James was right there, you know, and so many of the lessons we've already covered on John would apply to James. Not all of them, but, but a lot of them. Uh, for example, James was also called the son of thunder by Jesus and you know James was a son of thunder and so was his brother John and apparently they had uh uh you know anger issues and things like that both James and John so I already covered that under John so you can go back in in the archives and look look that up but a few things I do want to say about James uh look here in Matthew the 4th chapter he was a very important apostle they were, were all important um they were and look here in Matthew 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now again, this was not the first encounter that they had with Jesus. Apparently they had interacted with him. Well, not apparently. They had interacted with him before that. We saw that in John. But see, a lot of people think that Jesus walked up complete stranger and said, Hey, follow me. And they just dropped everything and followed him. No, they had inter they had encountered him prior. Okay. They'd spent time with him prior, but here's where he officially called them into the ministry. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, 
the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And again, the lesson here that we learn, a lesson we can learn. And I probably covered it when I talked about John, but I want to hit it again. When Jesus calls, immediately drop what you're doing, leave it and follow him. Okay, immediately. I, I, that word immediately just jumped out at me. When Jesus calls, when he's calling, we need to be immediate about it. Immediately. When Jesus is calling, I mean, when we know it's him, call it. You know, when we know that we know that we know it's the Lord told us to do something, we need to do it immediately. I tell you what, there's been times in my life where I just, I, I knew that I knew that I knew what the Lord wanted me to do and, and, and I, and I, I, I'm more of, I just have to tell you, I'm a little bit of a procrastinator. Now, if my wife was here, she'd say amen to that. Uh, but, uh, you know, and there's been some times where I waited a little bit long and, and it cost me and I didn't get the full blessing out of what God wanted me to do because I took, took too long to get around to it. You know, you wait too long, you'll get somebody else to do it or whatever. <laughs> but then God gave me my wife and she's, She's she's not a procrastinator, and I tell you, she helps me that when the Lord, you know, I'm fairly good at hearing from the Lord, but I I have a little trouble you know, getting on out there and doing it sometimes. But the Lord fixed all that. He gave me a great wife who doesn't not have a problem in that area, and she's been a blessing, and she sees to it that I do what the Lord tells me to do, and I'm so thankful for it. But I tell you what, you need to be immediate about it when the Lord tells you to do something. You know, when you know it's the Lord now, when you know, I'm, you know, I'm talking about when you know it's the Lord, you know that you know that you know, you need to be, be immediate about it. Now there's times where God will call you to do something, tell you to do something and, 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 you know, you, you gotta be sensitive, you know, He may not want you to move immediately on, on some things, you know, you gotta be led by the Spirit. But I tell you what, when He's, when He's calling you to do certain things and how do you know, well, you, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, when it comes to certain things like following him to go do, do certain, you gotta be led. What am I trying to say? You gotta be led by the Spirit. There are some things God will lead you to do where, where you, you know, he may not, he'll give you the plan, but you gotta wait on the timing. He may, he may not want you to do things right immediately. He may want you to, to, to you know, down the road. Some season, some time on that. I don't, I don't exactly know what, Lord help me get this out. There's some things the Lord will call you to do and tell you to do where you need to move immediately. All right. There's other things he'll have you to do where you may have to just wait, wait on him a little bit and he'll give you the plan, but you got to wait on the timing. You understand what I'm saying? So you got to really be led and be sensitive, but there are some things that the Lord will tell you to do and you need to be immediate about it. And if you're not, you'll miss out on what he has for you. Okay. And, and so you say, well, how do you know? How do you, how do you know, uh, pastor, if you, if the Lord wants you to move immediately or, or to wait a while? Well, I like what one good minister says. He says the answer to a thousand and one questions is be led by the Holy Spirit. So you just need to be led. But the thing that jumps out, out at me right here is, is Jesus came. They had encountered him before. He said, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. He was changing their assignment. He was, he was, they were fishermen. Now they're going to 
stay fishermen, but now he's going to make them fishers of men. And he changed their assignment, and they did become fishers of men. And in this case, they needed to be immediate with it. And boy, I tell you what, they were immediate, and they went right off with him. And so let's be led. Let's follow the leading of the Spirit. And sometimes the Lord will tell us to do something, but we may have to wait on his timing. But there are other instances, what I'm trying to say, where he'll call us, be led by the Spirit, and we'll, we'll, there'll be that sense of urgency of the Spirit to move immediately. And boy, we need to move with him immediately because time, I've learned this, timing with God is so important. And it was time for them to go. And he said, come on, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Boy, they dropped everything and off they went. So uh, th that didn't come out as smooth as, as what I wanted, but I was, I believe the Holy Spirit's talking to some people out there that are listening that you, you needed to hear that. There's, there's sometimes God wants you to move immediately. Be sensitive to the Spirit. When that is, then do it. Because if you won't, I tell you what, you can miss out on some blessing. You can miss out on being a blessing to some other people. You really can. And if you wait too long, God will get somebody else to do it. There's other things that the Lord will have you tell you to do that, that you ha that, 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 you know, you'll, you wait and, and, and that, that for the timing, because, because when He gives you a plan, you know, sometimes, in fact, sometimes people move too quick. And they get out ahead of God. And uh, when you're out ahead of God, then he's following you. You're not following him. You don't want to do that. So it's all about being led by the Spirit and be sensitive to him. But there are other things when he tells you to go, you need to move. So be sensitive to the Spirit. In this case, he said, come. And I tell you, immediately they went. And I tell you what, I, now I guarantee it to you right now. In, they're in heaven now. They're glad they did. And they followed the Lord. And... uh and so anyway, I think I trust the Holy Spirit got out there what he wanted. But anyway, hey, I want to say this. James was one of Jesus's closest disciples. Now, you need to know this. I'll close with this. G James was one of Jesus's closest disciples, along with Peter and John. See, he had an inner circle. Jesus did. He had uh, he had Peter, James and John. That was his inner circle. And you could argue that Peter was the closest. You could argue John was the closest to Jesus. There's an argument there. But Peter, James, and John clearly were Jesus' inner circle. And then he had the other nine around him. And then on out from there. And this is really true. I noticed it in my ministry. I had those people that were the closest to me. And then I had my next ring of leaders. And then I had my next ring of leaders outside of that. And then on out in, in into the church at large, and, and any leader will really have this. This is a good, good way to function. And this is the way Jesus functioned. And he had Peter, James, and John. They were, uh, his, his closest, uh, uh, three. And they were with him and accompanied him, uh, on some very pivotal, uh, occasions. Uh, when Jairus's daughter was raised from the dead, only Peter, James, and John were there. When Jesus was transfigured up on that mountain, only Peter, James, and John were there. And during his agony, Jesus's agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, only Peter, James, and John were there. And here's a lesson, and then I'll close. What lesson can we learn here from, from, uh, uh, from James? But we also learn it from Peter and John. But a closeness with Jesus. He desired closeness with Jesus. And you know, we spoke earlier when I covered John. Remember, uh, James and John came up to Jesus and said, we want to sit one on your right hand, one on your left in your kingdom. And, and then, and then their mother came and, and asked and, and, and so forth. And, and at that time, when I, when I taught a couple of weeks ago on that, you know, I, I was talking about, 
uh, I, I looked at this more from a negative standpoint that, you know, they shouldn't have been doing that. They, they shouldn't have been, been seeking position. And, and there's great truth in what I said. So I stand by that. Absolutely. But if you look at this another way from a positive standpoint, can't you see that, that James and John, even though they shouldn't have been seeking a place of high position, but you can see that they desired closeness with Jesus. And that's a good thing. And so let's learn that. Let, let's don't seek for position, you know, a prideful place, uh, but let's rather seek to be close to him. Remember uh, that, that they might be with him. Let's seek that. And I can see if you look at, at, at them say, saying to Jesus, we want to sit one on your right, one on your left, hand in your kingdom. I can see a positive thing in there. At least they wanted to be close to him. And you know what? They desired that closeness. And, uh, and, and remember Jesus said, you know, who sits on my right hand and who on my, who sits on my left? It's not for mine to grant. But you know what? If you look at it, they had that James and John, they had that desire to be close with Jesus. And as far as Jesus could grant it, he did grant their request because you see James, John, and of course Peter, but, but I'm talking about James and John now. They did get their request answered as far as Jesus could grant it. They did get that closeness with him. They were his, uh, James and John were part of Jesus's inner circle. And so Jesus did grant the desires of their heart as far as he could. So let's learn a lesson. Let us seek a, a, a place close to Jesus, not a prideful position of power, but a place close by his side. And uh, and, and they did get that desire uh, of their heart. They did get to be close with him, uh, James, Peter, and John. So, hey, anyway, let me unhook right here. And I uh, trust the Holy Spirit got across to you what what he wanted. Um, and I'm looking at my notes here for next week, Philip and Nathaniel. Oh, you don't want to miss it. It's going to be good. I trust today was good, but it's going to get gooder, I think, even next week. So, hey, uh, God bless you. And, hey, before I go, I always like to give people an opportunity to get saved. Remember, there's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shine. And the only way to miss hell and make heaven is to repent of your sins, turn from your old lifestyle, the sinful lifestyle, turn away from, from, you know, some people, you know, let me say this, some people are very moral people and they don't really have a quote unquote lifestyle of, you know, they're not smoke, uh, say smokers. Well, hey, don't smoke. It won't send you to hell necessarily, but it'll make you smell like you've been there. But you know what I'm trying to say? Uh, there's people, you know, I've learned this. It's harder a lot of times to get good moral people saved than it is rank sinners. People that are drunkards and people that are adulterers, you know, and people that, 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 you know, just cussers. And you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes those people are easier to get saved than, than good moral people. But if you're out there, whether you're just a rank, just a, just a heathen, an adulterer, or whatever it is. Or maybe you're a good moral person that you, you know, you try to keep all the rules and do everything right. I tell you what, you need to be saved just as much as the adulterer. Because you see, if you're trusting in those good works, you're, you're lost because we can't get to heaven through good works. So I don't care who you are out there. If you're what, what one would consider a rank old sinner, or if you're a good moral person, I tell you, in either case, you need to repent. See, a lot of times moral people, one, a person came up to me one time and they said, well, pastor, how, what does a good moral person need to repent of anyway? And you know what? I didn't know the answer to that. Holy Ghost gave me the answer. They need to repent of trusting in their own good works. Now you think about that. So I tell you what, whoever you are out there, 
You need to turn from whatever it is you're trusting in or, or not trusting what. And you need to turn to Jesus. That's what you need to do. You need to accept Him as your Lord and Savior. Sell your life out to Him. He's calling you today. Follow me. Follow me just like He was calling Peter and Andrew, James and John. So drop whatever it is you're doing and leave that stuff and follow Him. You'll miss hell. You'll make heaven and He'll make your life worth living in the meantime. Well, God bless you and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.